Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. My name is Marion Rose, PhD, and today I'm so delighted to have a return guest on, which is the beautiful Steph Leeton, who is an Aware Parenting Instructor. If you want to find out more or you want to listen to the other episode that she was on, it's episode 96. Anyway, welcome, Steph. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thank you for having me back. I'm excited to be back. Yay, me too. And what I love is that you're going to be sharing your experience both as a parent and also in your role, not only as an aware parenting instructor, but actually that you've had this beautiful family daycare for many years and to really share your experience of practicing aware parenting with the children in your care, particularly in relation to sleep and the differences you see there. So I wonder if you might share a bit about your journey with sleep and aware parenting as a parent yourself. Mm, yes. So I think I mentioned it in the previous episode, and I know I've definitely mentioned it many times on my own podcast, but I came across Aware Parenting from your beautiful essay that was at the back of a calm birth workbook. Uh, and I discovered it when I was about 30 weeks pregnant with my first child. And so I ordered all of Aletha's books that she'd ordered to that point. I read all your website that was present at that time and so I started aware parenting from the very beginning and it just made so much sense to me the sleep the listening to feelings and so my husband Lucas and I never really had issues with sleep with our first child Kynan he's now well he'll be 10 in a few weeks actually oh amazing a whole decade yeah Yeah, (laughs) nice conversation to have yeah Um, reflect back on that decade and I know that he's highly sensitive and so he would accumulate feelings a lot quicker and a lot more intensely and so he would have big release cries in our arms for sometimes up to three hours at a time and then afterwards he would just be so relaxed and he would fall asleep and he wouldn't fall asleep from exhaustion from crying so I just want to make that clear he would fall asleep looking in our eyes after he had had a cry because sometimes there's that confusion oh well they've been crying for this amount of time so of course they're going to fall asleep because they're exhausted and so I just want to make it clear that there were there's a difference and so he didn't dissociate he wasn't tense afterwards and I we could very quickly determine his different cries and so I don't know why I guess Lucas and I are naturally quite intuitive so we could always tell if it was a hunger cry or he needed a nappy change or any other unmet need. He was overstimulated versus if he had accumulated feelings that he had to release, his fists would be really clenched. He actually went through a period of time where he would suck his fist. And I actually had a consult with Aletha about that because he'd like literally try to stuff his entire fist into his mouth. And so, yeah, I had a session with her and that helped clarify things, but It was so helpful just having aware parenting and just really paying attention to his cues for tiredness, connecting with him, seeing that he was actually tired. We never followed a sleep schedule. So we never thought, okay, he has to wake up at this time. Then he has to nap at this time and this time. And then he has to go to bed at this time. And then at bedtime, we have to do this routine in this order. And we never had that. It was just like, 
oh, you're rubbing your eyes right now. You're yawning, um, stretching. You must be starting to feel a little bit tired. And so before that point, we'd make sure that every other need was met. We'd make sure that his belly was full, that his nappy was clean. And that way we also felt more confident that when he did cry, when we were holding him in our arms to go to sleep, that it was for an emotional reason to release those accumulated stresses and feelings that he'd had previously throughout the day or who knows from his birth. And yeah, we just felt so confident in that. And in the times that he did wake up during the night, especially as a newborn, I did breastfeed him, but generally it was never back to sleep. Like he didn't go back to sleep. And I gathered pretty quickly when he was actually hungry and when he had a release cry, because when he wasn't hungry, he would generally bite me or he'd pull his head from side to side or he'd pinch me. And so I thought, well, you're not really calm and relaxed now because when even as newborns, babies, when they're feeding because they're hungry, they're relaxed. You can tell they're not biting you. They're not pinching you. They might just gently have their hand rested on you. So I could definitely tell. And in those times where maybe I wasn't a little bit sure because I'm only human and he may have had a little bit of a breastfeeding control pattern at the beginning, I quickly could tell because he'd wake up pretty soon afterwards, like crying and squirming around, which wasn't an upset tummy or it wasn't gas or anything like that. It was just like, you can just tell, you can, you could feel the energy of the tension. And so that was my experience with my first child. And it was a bit different with my second. Oh, well, I love hearing about all of that. And I love how much you describe me about the observation and you know me, I'm passionate about that. And you also have a psychology background as well. So I'm actually curious to whether you learned anything about observation there, but just like really how much this process is about really observing our babies or children and really understanding from their behavior. Is this a need or is this feelings? What's the difference between true relaxation and dissociation? I love all that you said there. It's just so... It's so wonderful, isn't it? And as you said, not going by some kind of somebody else's routine of like number of hours or whatever, but actually really observing his cues and him when he was letting you know he was tired, just really following his lead. It's so beautiful, isn't it? I so celebrate you. And I'd love to hear the contrast, what happened next time around. Ah, so next time around, that was very different. So Heinen's birth was a natural water birth, but I had a third degree tear and a postpartum hemorrhage afterwards. So I had to be separated for him for two hours while I went down to theatre. And then I was quite separated from him in the hospital because I was in a shared room. So Lucas wasn't allowed to stay with me. And because I'd just had a spinal tap to repair my third degree tear, I was attached to a machine to prevent blood clots. And so I literally couldn't move off the bed. I was also numb from my hips down. Like I couldn't feel my legs for a good 24 hours. And so every time Kynan would cry, I'd have to push the buzzer for a nurse to come, wait for a nurse to come while he was crying his eyes out in the bassinet for them to come and hand him to me. And it wasn't until one midwife said, why don't we just leave him on the bed with you? And it was just, anyway, that was like not a very good experience. And so going into my second child, Oren's birth, he's six and a half now. I had to have a cesarean, an elective cesarean, because I had placenta previa. 
And I went in there with as much power as one can have in a cesarean situation. I said I had a very clear guideline that I only wanted the obstetrician to touch me and the baby. Like I didn't want any assistance or residences or whatever you call them, touching the baby. And I wanted the cord plant. I didn't want the cord cut straight away, which he was fine with. He said, yeah, we can do that. But he said, if you bleed, I will need to milk the cord, which I didn't even know that was a thing, but he ended up having to milk the cord and everything. Anyway, that experience was a lot more empowering than my natural water birth, which is quite odd. But once Oren was born, it was, you could tell like he was a completely different human being. Like they're not blank slates when they arrive here. They've got their own unique personalities from the very moment you hold them. Even in utero, they have their own like unique personalities. And so I just remember looking at Oren and I just thought there is something really wise and ancient about you. And I had him at a different hospital, a smaller hospital where the midwives were just so lovely. And from the very beginning, I had him sleeping in the bed with me. We did not use the bassinet whatsoever. And so he was always close. He was always attached to me. The midwives were really supportive of that. And from the very first day he was born, he slept five hours overnight, every night from the day he was born. And I know Lucas and I thought, what strange human is this to do this? Because it was just so different to listening to Kynan's long, lengthy cries every single day for at least the first six months of his life to having Oren, who really didn't cry much. He just cried for his physical needs. He was just so chilled out and so happy. And he didn't have the same overstimulation that Kynan did. And so it was like very bizarre to me at first, especially from an aware parenting lens. I thought, should you not have some birth trauma? Should you not have some feelings about this? But yeah, he just really didn't have much and for the first month. And then he started releasing his feelings a little bit more, but not with me. It turned out I was a control pattern. So he would not cry with me. He would cry with Lucas. So Lucas would have to hold him and listen to all his feelings. And after that, he'd then come back to me because we tested this we, a few times. He'd go to Lucas, he'd cry. As soon as he came back to me, he'd stop crying. And I said to Lucas, I'm a control pattern. You're just going to have to listen to all these feelings while he's so little. And then things changed dramatically when he was four months old because Lucas went away for seven months with the army. And because I was a control pattern and then my form of Oren releasing his feelings left, then Oren started suppressing his feelings. And so he didn't cry. And so then he started catnapping during the day and he started waking up more frequently at night. And so to me, that was just a big awakening as to how amazing aware parenting is and to how amazing listening to your child's feelings and how powerful it is on that sleep. Because as soon as Lucas went away, Oren's sleep just went down the drain quite quickly. And so it took a lot for me. And I actually had to ask my mum sometimes to come over and say, listen, Oren has so many feelings. He won't cry with me. 
I, will you feel comfortable holding him while he cries? And so sometimes she did, like she would come and she'd just hold him and I'd just explain it. And I'd just say, oh, you, you don't have to rock him. You don't have to shush him or anything. Just hold him and say, you're safe. I'm listening. And that's it. And so the first time she did that, he cried for two hours straight <laughs> to release all those big feelings. And and that was, that was very helpful for me. And then Lucas came back by by that time, Oren had developed this habitual suppression. And so he did dissociate quite a bit when he was falling asleep, which you could tell because his body wasn't relaxed. I could actually feel his energy that it, he was quite tense and he wouldn't be looking at me in the eyes. He'd be like gazing off and like just eventually fall asleep. Uh, he would be resistant to sleep. Like I said, he would wake up a lot during the night and it's taken quite a few years actually. And this is also because of his medical condition. He had uh, autoimmune blood disorder for a few years, which he's now outgrown, but that caused a lot of trauma from lots of blood tests, lots of trips to emergency. And so he had so many accumulated feelings and because he was so used to suppressing them, he then developed a control pattern to play which is a very interesting control pattern. <laughs> Would you like to show a bit about that? Because it's actually really common as a control pattern, isn't it? And how you can tell, because I think so often parents go, but my child just wants to play all the time and can never, ever do anything like, particularly like on their own. Or yeah. Do you want to share a bit about what you observed? Yeah, so he yes, he would always want to play. He would always want us to read more books. He would always want more of everything. And it was never enough. And when we set a lovely limit saying, I'm not willing to keep playing anymore, whether it was special time and we'd set a timer or whether it was just one of those spontaneous moments where you use play for a challenging situation where he was like being uncooperative, he would always want more and you'd set a loving limit. And so then he'd start going into a hyper arousal state. So he'd start like kicking us and punching our thighs, which was very different to the calm, beautiful, <laughs> serene little baby he was born as. I was just like, where is has this person come from? Uh, and then he does this thing where he horse kicks the wall. Like he'll use his heel and horse kick it backwards into the wall. That's like, that's his big, I'm not happy with you right now. And because he just really doesn't like being told no. <laughs> that's a big thing for him, which is for many children and adults too and so then we'd set a limit and he'd just we'd hold him in our arms to stop him kicking or we'd gently hold his wrist so he'd stop throwing and he'd just giggle in our laps and not the type of laughter that releases anything it was just the dissociative giggle and once you realize that there's this laughter that releases feelings and then when you see this dissociative giggle like it's very different because he's you can see he's avoiding his feelings and he's avoiding it through giggling. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we'd set these limits and then he'd just keep giggling and he, then he'd keep trying to punch us and kick us. And as soon as we'd let him go, he'd go back, he'd like start pulling things off shelves and being as destructive as a little human can be. And we discovered that the best way around this is to offer loving limits in other moments. So instead of going in with play in other moments to offer a loving limit instead. So uh, that seemed to be more effective 
in him releasing feelings at other times so that when we did go into a playful situation, whether that was, like I said, special time or play to help with a challenging situation, uh, it would then go into just the feelings would be resolved at that time through laughter. And he'd just go to being cooperative because maybe in that moment he felt he needed more connection. Or we'd offer a loving limit at the end and he'd go straight into crying and raging. And so, yeah, the biggest thing I found with that was that in those moments where he was just giggling, I had to just release that expectation that he was going to release feelings in that moment. I just thought, no. It's just not going to happen. He And he knows, like, my older son says to me, stop aware parenting me. Your compassion is too intense for me. I don't like you listening to my feelings. I know what you're trying to do. And it's just amazing hearing children who are raised with aware parenting, they know the intricacies of that feelings. They know when you're listening. They know when you're offering therapeutic techniques to them. And so you're always on your toes when you think you know where parenting <laughs> they throw something at you and like you have to dance around it and adapt to it and just in those moments just like release all expectations and go okay not going to do that right now you just go do what you need to do and we will come back to these feelings at another time Oh, I'm so, so resonating. So it's so interesting as well, isn't it? I don't know about you. I found too, if I was ever, it was more like a doing something like I'm doing this thing to have this effect. It just never really did anything. It's coming back again and again, isn't it? To actually being really present and to offer a connection and to be being these practices rather than doing them because they just, they can tell the difference, can't they? And yeah, I'm so with you. Yeah. So anything in terms of the sleep, like the rest of the more recent part of the journey, is there anything more that you want to share about that with either of them? Yeah, I think one thing I would like to share, which kind of wraps it all up with my experience with the sleep, is that we went on this sleep journey in that not only did we listen to their feelings, but we listened to our needs as parents as well as their needs as children and how they meet on a biological level as mammals. So we did start off with co-sleeping in the same bed. We would sleep in a queen size bed and I put up a bed rail on my side. So Kynan and Oren as babies would always sleep between me and the bed rail as opposed to in the middle of the bed, just because Lucas is a deeper sleeper where I am not. And so they started off on that. And then when Nan was a bit older and Oren was born, we got a single bed and attached that to the queen bed. So that we were always in the same area. We always paid attention to what their needs were. So Kynan expressed a need when he was about five that he'd like his own bedroom. So we got him his own bedroom. We created it as in, we just turned a spare room into a bedroom. And some nights he'd sleep in there, some nights not. And then it got to a point where as parents, we just wanted, you know, to go back to just having two in the bed. So what we did is next we did co-sleeping where they in the same bedroom, not in the same bed. So Lucas and I had our queen bed and then we got bunk beds where Kynan would sleep on the top and it was a shorter bunk bed. So it wasn't like a really high one. And then Oren would sleep on the bottom, which was like basically on the ground and they were fine with that. So we'd sit with Oren and I'd hold him till he fell asleep. And then I'd just like gently 
transfer him onto the mattress and he'd sleep all night most nights. Same with Kynan because they still had that closeness. And then as they got older, Kynan again said, oh, I want to go in my own room. And Oren said, well, if he gets his own room, I want my own room. So we put them in the same room because we thought that was like an, a next smaller step instead of both separate rooms. And so for a while they were sleeping in single beds in the same room. Uh, we'd sit next to them while they fell asleep because that's what they asked us to do. So we didn't think, oh, well, you're this age now, you really should be falling asleep on your own. We sat with them and I still sit with Oren. So like I said, Oren's six and a half. And at night I still sit next to him in bed. I read a story. We do have some limits around it as in I'm only willing to read you one chapter or I'm only willing to read you one book just because that's all I'm actually willing for. But it also gives him the opportunity to push up against something if there are feelings and he'll say, no, I want another book or I want you to read more of this chapter. And so I'll just say, no, remember we said that this is all I'm willing for. And then he might have a cry about it. And yeah, I just sit with him until he's fallen asleep. And then I walk out of the room and the times he has big feelings, lots of it's been happening. He'll generally get up through the night and I'll just go back in to his bed with him and sit with him until he falls back asleep. Or sometimes he just comes into our bed and just falls asleep there. With Kynan, um, he likes us reading a bit of the book he's reading to him. And then he'll read us a bit and then he'll be like, okay, good night. And then he'll keep reading to himself because he's a bookworm like me. And so he'll just fall asleep when he's ready. Yes. Sometimes it's not until nine o'clock at night and he'll just know that I'm tired right now, so I'm going to go to sleep. Oh, I love hearing that whole journey. It's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's what I hear you doing is that really listening to them, listening to yourselves, exactly as you said, and listening to them and that gradual progression towards more and more separation but in such a completely connected way and following their lead but also listening to your needs as well it's so beautiful isn't it just the whole process thing can be relatively unstressful including the moments where it is stressful but relatively on a whole pretty easeful so thank you I love hearing that journey thank you so should we shift gears more towards your experience as a daycare provider? I don't know if, I, do you use the word provider? It's not, I don't know if I like that uh, word, but anyway. Early childhood educator. Early childhood educator. And so all the experience you've had over all of these years, particularly in relation to sleep, I think it's so unique what you can share about this. So I'd love to hear. Hmm. Yeah, so Lucas and I started our first family daycare in Canberra over eight years ago. And the reason we wanted to was because we wanted to provide aware parenting to families in the community that offered something filled with like compassion, awareness, empathy, play that was trauma, not only trauma informed, but could help children heal from stresses and traumas while they're in our care, which is not done anywhere else, really. And so one of the things that we noticed was this issue with sleep. Sleep seems to be a big issue with parents. As you know, it's like one of the most talked about topics in my client sessions. It's one of the most biggest things which families come to us with about sleep. And it's actually very funny because Lucas and I never have stress about sleep. We just don't, like it's not something that stresses us out. I think it's just because we've done it for so long and we're just so confident in knowing 
And when a new child starts with us, our first focus is on developing a really strong connected relationship because when a child isn't with their parent, they have a need to have an attachment figure that they know is safe, that knows that will meet their needs, that knows that they will listen to their feelings. And so from the very beginning, this is what Lucas and I do. And this is a reason we never accept more than one new child at a time. We stagger out when new children start because we want to spend quality time with each new child while also obviously having the other children around. And so we have four under school age children between the two of us. So that's a ratio of one to two. And we just really focus on not just that relationship, but paying attention to that individual child's cues. So each child has different cues. Like we have children who show their tiredness through their behavior. We have children who will verbally say to us, I'm feeling tired now. We have children who will tug at their ears, rub their eyes, yawn, all these different cues. And so you need to know each child on an individual level. You can't expect them to have all the same tiredness cues. And so we have that connection element and then we pay attention to the tiredness. And obviously throughout the day, we also have these moments where they can release their feelings, either through crying, through raging or through play. And one of the things that we do, which is actually perhaps crossing a line with the national regulations, is that we don't have a set sleep time, which is actually written in the regulations, I believe, that there must be a set sleep and rest time. And the reason we don't do that is because every child is on their own unique clock. Like, why would we set a rest time for like 1 to 2 p.m. when there might be children who feel tired before that or might feel tired after that? And so it's just going against their natural biological mechanisms for I'm tired at this time. And we do the same with eating. Like, children can eat whenever they want to eat because we want them to stay in tune with what their bodies are telling them. We don't want them leaving our care when they go to school or the next step in their journey, just completely disconnected from what they're feeling in each moment. And yes, I know at school they have set meal times, but we want to plant these seeds that you can listen to your body. And even if someone tells you not to, you're still in tune with this is when I feel hungry. This is when I feel tired. This is what I'm needing right now. This is what I'm feeling right now. And so, yeah, we really pay attention to each individual child's sleep cues and that might look different from week to week. So we don't think, oh, Tommy sleeps 11 o'clock every Wednesday. We don't think, oh, he's got to go to sleep now. We pay attention to what's going on for Tommy in that moment on that day because obviously what's happened prior to that might affect his sleep. So he might need a little bit more time to release his feelings. Um, And so, yeah, that's the biggest difference that we do to every other daycare is we actually pay attention to every child's individual sleep cues and we give them the opportunity to release their feelings which generally come about when a child is tired because when you're exhausted that's when your threshold for holding in everything is really low so things generally come out then so Lucas and I will um 
we'll generally hold the younger kids in our arms, like in a cradle hold and just tell them they're safe and we're here and we're listening with the older kids. We'll just, we have little individual beds for them. So they'll lie on the little beds and we'll just, you know, put an arm like maybe around the top of the head or we'll just gently rest our hand on their chest or the abdomen or just next to them because we just pay attention to what each child is wanting. Some don't like to be touched, but we just want them to know that we're like right there with them and they might cry or maybe they don't. Like some children don't cry. And this is the biggest difference I've found too is when they don't have accumulated feelings because maybe they've released them earlier in the day with us or maybe at some other time with their parents, if their parents practice aware parenting is they'll just look in your eyes, stare into your eyes and then just fall asleep in like such a relaxed state. You can see their jaws are relaxed, their hands are relaxed, where we found that children who maybe don't have parents that practice aware parenting, which we have so much compassion for wherever parents are on their journey, or maybe these children have come from centres or other daycares. And when that happens, most of these children are in, a high state of trauma because they're always told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. There is not enough adults to actually meet their needs. They never have the opportunity to release their feelings. And so all these stresses just accumulate. And so we found that the children who had come from these centers where they were forced to sleep at specific times, and I know they were forced because I've had educators say to me, yeah, we have to force the children to go to sleep at this time because that's in our practices and our policies. And they'll say, and some centers might say, oh, no, 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 it's just like rest time. They have to lie down and rest. But I'm, I say, well, you're still making them lie down and rest. Like maybe they don't want to rest at that time. And you can, so when they lie down, they dissociate and you can tell because their fists might be clenched. You can tell because their jaws might be clenched. Some of them grind their teeth. Um, they don't make eye contact. And when you try to like gently stroke their cheek and say, I'm here, they'll like do everything to avoid your presence being there. And then they'll just fall asleep. And then they generally wake up pretty quickly after that and often crying in a state of upset because they've got all these feelings that have just been bubbling below the surface while they've fallen asleep. And so we just have to work a little bit in in alignment and awareness of where those children are at. So we generally introduce a lot more therapeutic play with them. So we might do a lot of role play, symbolic play, nonsense play, power reversal play with them to help them release the feelings through laughter because laughter doesn't feel as intense. And so I've found that, especially because Kynan is highly sensitive, is that some children, they find the crying and the raging too intense for them. And that's when they say, like, that's when they say, stop aware parenting me because they're just so painful. And so I find that there's a nice bridge with play. So the laughter releases the surface emotions, it builds connection, it builds safety, and then they children feel safer to cry and rage. And once a child reaches that point, they will openly cry and rage with Lucas and I whenever they need to because that's the point they realise, oh, I they still accept me for who I am. They're still offering me compassion and empathy. They're not ignoring me. They're not 
sending me to a timeout. They're not telling me to calm down. They're just sitting here. And so every child who has had this trauma or these suppressed feelings will hit a point where they just realize that we will unconditionally accept them no matter what's going on for them. And then their sleep transforms and you can see that they'll actually be more in tune. So they might, especially the older children, they'll say, I don't want to sleep today, Steph. Or can I have a sleep a little bit later, Lucas, because I kind of am not tired right now. And then we even have kids who feel so safe here that they've fallen asleep on our lawn in our backyard. And that's not because they're dissociated because at first I thought, oh, what's going on here? But I just paid attention to them. And it's just amazing because children can be inside and outside whenever they want. And so a lot of children choose to spend most of the day outside because who wouldn't want to? It's just so beautiful here. And they're playing and they're having fun and then they'll just stop and they'll just say, oh, I'm feeling really tired. And I'll say, oh, that's okay. Would you like a rest somewhere? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I might just go sit over here on the grass. And then a few minutes later, they're fast asleep on the grass outside. And the amount of parents that have come to us and said, what do you do to help our child sleep in your care? Or why are they sleeping more for you? They never sleep this much at home. And, oh, my goodness, they've fallen asleep on your back." yeah in your backyard like how did you do that and I said well you know there's all these lovely things all underneath the word parenting that really helps support and nurture a child to sleep oh, so lovely Steph I feel really like we both got huge smiles on our faces and we like so beautiful just that the choice that you that of course that you give them listening to their cue supporting them to stay deeply connected with themselves or the children that have lost that connection to regain that connection with their own internal barometer whether they're hungry or tired or whatever they need I think it's such a beautiful gift that you're giving to these children and I can imagine it's just so fulfilling to get to contribute to them in this way and see these changes and see them feeling more and more relaxed in their bodies such a beautiful thing isn't it to see from that more kind of dissociated state to more and more relaxation more and more of that emotional safety so that they can cry and laugh and play so beautiful thank you for what you're doing (laughs) I see it as a gift like every parent who comes here says oh I'm so happy I found you and I just think I'm just so honoured and grateful for every child that has ever or is ever going to be in our care because I learned so much from each of them. They're just, they're walking gifts and they have so much to teach us and I just love being in their presence. And, yeah, to me it's just so heartbreaking when I hear stories of where they've been like in other centers I've heard from educators that have said they've had to leave the profession entirely because it's just so disheartening seeing children forced to lie down seeing threats he's like well if you don't rest now you're not allowed to paint later and distracting them from their feelings I've had educators say to me we're told that we have to distract them from their feelings we're told that we have to remove them as quickly as possible from their parents in the morning and then try and distract them so they don't cry. And yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking and so sad hearing that. And 
that's why Lucas and I do what we do. It's why we started doing what we do. And with all this like almost decades worth of experience, we want to show educators that it's possible to actually do aware parenting in a daycare environment. Yes, you will have to tweak things. Yes, you'll probably have to get more educators on board. But these are human beings in the most crucial part of their development and they deserve the very best. Oh, absolutely. And what I love is that passion that's not only going to be the children that are in your care, because obviously with that one to two ratio, there's not so many children that you're going to be able to support over the years, although it's a lot, is that you also have got these beautiful plans for this to spread to many other early childhood educators and daycare setups. So I'd love to hear, do you want to share a little bit about that here? Uh, what I'm planning on doing. What are you planning on doing? Yeah, <laughs> uh, only if you want to. And if, mm, oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I've called it the Spirited Hearts approach to early learning, and it's basically everything that I have learned as a parent and as an educator, and as an aware parenting instructor over a decade, and how that can be adapted into any childcare setting, whether that be a family daycare, a childcare centre, a preschool, even primary schools up to about age eight. Like everything that we do can be adapted. You can still follow the national regulations. You can still follow the laws. You can still follow the curriculums. And this is just designed as an add-on and the way I've designed it is it's eight modules and it's so in-depth and I have always valued quality over quantity, always, always will. And so this is like, this is a journey that not only will change the way that an educator or parent or a teacher shows up for their child, it will change their own lives it will help them heal from their own daycare childhood school traumas because that is the biggest form of change too is healing ourselves because when we heal ourselves the things that our children bring to us no longer elicit these big feelings and that's one of the big things that I tell my clients and my parents is well, when your child does this, how are you feeling in that moment? And what does that remind you of from when you were a child? And it's so amazing seeing like the penny drop where they think, oh my goodness, that's related to that. And it's all interconnected. I mean, that's why there's a spider web in my logo is because there's connections everywhere. Like within ourselves. there's all these webs woven that have formed us to this point in time. And then there's all these connections that we have with other people. And, and so we form webs in our communities. And so I would just love, and I'm so willing to see more safety in childcare. There's often spoken about physical safety. So you have all these daily checklists you have to do for physical safety, for hygiene, and I just think, where's the emotional safety? Where is the emotional safety in this? And I know when I did my diploma in early childhood education and care, there was not much information on emotional well-being. It was all targeted towards behaviour management. 
calming children down, which just goes against their natural healing mechanisms, as we both know. And so this is designed to elevate a more holistic approach. Yes, we pay attention to the physical needs of children, but we also bring in the mental, emotional and spiritual aspects that each one of us has. And so that's what the certification program is about. So it can be adapted into any school, any childcare center. You can even start your own family daycare or at-home based daycare. And yeah, it's just, it's something that I'm really excited about and really passionate about. And I would love it to be on the level of uh, like Steiner and Montessori, like people go into places going, oh, are you Steiner? Are you in Montessori? And I'd love there to be the spirited hearts approach in there because I believe that it's a big chunk of the puzzle that's been missing. And so that's why I created it because I also want to show educators that it's possible because I've been doing it for almost a decade. So of course it's possible. It just requires you to tweak things and to change your perspectives on things and to bring more awareness and connection and compassion and all those good things. I love what you're doing and I feel so excited. And let's connect back again and come back on the podcast in a few years' time and it's like, absolutely. What daycare are you? What preschool are you? What primary school are you? Are you Montessori? Are you Steiner? Are you this this beautiful Mm, such embodied aware parenting that you're bringing in with your amazing work and I just think it's so wonderful that you've really you're actually living this you've experienced it as you say you've been doing it for nearly a decade and you have the evidence to show that this really is possible to do and it really is possible to change those old systems in ways that really support children of course support families to do what they need to do so yeah so celebrating you Yeah, I will also add that to see the value in it is it's invaluable when you see the effects that this has. I have families that have come to me and said, sending my child to you is the best decision I've ever made because they are so much more confident at home now. They sleep better at home. The way they interact with others in social situations or even with their own siblings is so different and parents are actually shocked by how different because they think, oh, I'm just sending my child to a daycare. But no, Lucas and I have never just been a daycare. We've never just been educators. This is something more. This is life enriching and this is healing because as we both know, traumas don't just have to be big, massive events. They could be the birth of a sibling, moving house, a previous teacher not responding to you in a moment of need, your feelings not being listened to, not getting to the toilet in time, like all these things. So we all have stresses, like it's unavoidable. We can try to prevent them as much as possible, but at the end of the day, they're unavoidable. So having a place where children can just be who they are, feel what they need to feel in the moment, release them with loving support. That's how, that's why we do what we do. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And I love imagining all the other educators are going to be able to say the same. Like we do the spirited hearts approach and we're seeing like it's spreading out. And of course, then I imagine you probably find so many parents 
who perhaps didn't know about aware parenting before they go oh, oh what is this aware parenting thing then and just how that spreads out and makes such a difference so I'm so grateful to you and what you're doing and what you and what is coming into form is there anything else that you want to share to parents so particularly maybe in relation to sleep and in relation to daycare as well any other last words I mean I know you've had many other beautiful episodes on sleep for parents so I think there is so much value in listening to those episodes and what parents can do to help meet the and support their children with sleep this would be specifically for parents in relation to daycare and just saying really pay attention to where you're sending your child like I cannot stress that enough. I know some parents don't have much choice. They have to go with whatever's closest to them, whatever's affordable to them. But if you have the spaciousness to be able to explore different places, do like pay attention to that sleep schedules, schedules in air quotes, they shouldn't have a schedule and like how they approach crying and raging and how they help support children And also I would offer to communicate with educators. So I have my Spirited Hearts Play Files, which is a mini course. It's accessible. It's only 44 Australian dollars. You can access it anytime, anywhere. And it is designed for parents and educators. Like all there's a a compilation of some of my most used games in my own household, as well as in my daycare, which educators and teachers can actually use in the classrooms and their services to help support children in ways that help them to feel connected and to release their feelings. And I'm also in the process of doing another mini course called, I don't know if no, this is what I'm going to call it, but it's going to be nurturing emotional well-being in early childhood education and care and helping nurture children's big feelings when they have tantrums, meltdowns, helping support them through separation anxiety, any big changes. And so these are just all little mini courses that people, educators and parents can do Um, that's like I said accessible affordable if you are an educator or a teacher you can get professional development certificates for that I offer that it's tax deductible and it's also a a little taste test is of what the certification program will be yum 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 yum. (laughs) oh I'm so excited (laughs) do you want to share as well about your podcast and about your website so people can find out more and they can come and listen to your episodes as well sure so my website is spiritedhearts.net i'm also on instagram at spirited underscore hearts and i do have a podcast called spirited hearts the podcast where i do a few solo episodes but mainly i just have guests from around the world talking about parenting education homeschooling and just life in general just soul enriching conversations where people can take what resonates leave the rest but they're just so deep and meaningful. I love them. Oh, so beautiful. I so appreciate all that you're doing. And thank you for coming on today. I feel really excited imagining all the parents and also educators who are going to get to listen to that and to really be this spreading. I'm seeing the beautiful web behind you of your logo and just really this spreading that really is possible to practice aware parenting in these settings where children are cared for and what a massive difference that's going to make to the world as that becomes more and more mainstream. So thank you for all that you're doing, lovely. Thank you for being here. And yeah, any last things that you'd like to say as we complete today? 
Uh, I would just say trust your intuition as a parent, as an educator. As an educator, it's okay to say no. If you're being told to do this thing that you just think, no, that's not in the best interest of this child, have the courage and the confidence and know that you're not alone. Like I say no to the regulations a lot and I'm still here. (laughs) But if something doesn't feel right to you, just say no. Say, listen, there's a better way of doing this. How about we work together as a team? How about we listen to these resources, which Anywhere Parenting Instructor, amazing resources, and find ways that are more connection-giving, more compassionate, more empathetic, and more joyful because not only will it change the lives of the children in your care, your own life will also change in the process. Yeah, absolutely. Big, big yes to that. The importance of saying no and that transforming effect of aware parenting. Thank you so much, lovely Steph. I have so enjoyed being here with you today. And thank you and so much love to all our lovely listeners. And I feel excited imagining this going out to the world. So lots of love and see you next time.